All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 9. We are marching through the book of Daniel. We've got a couple more weeks in it. Next week we're going to uh, tackle chapters 10 through 12, and then we'll have a concluding uh, sermon. But this week we're talking about desperate times. And what we see with Daniel is he does daily measures. You've heard the saying, desperate times calls for desperate measures. But what you see with Daniel, who finds himself in desperate circumstance after desperate circumstance, is he keeps on doing what he does every day. And so when you look at Daniel, what you see is a teenager, guys your age, being taken captive into a foreign land. That is a desperate time. And yet, what does he do? Something he does daily. He resolves to be faithful to God. Desperate times, daily measures. Or, that time the king had a dream, and he was in wise man training school, and none of the professional wise men could interpret the dream. The king got mad and was going to throw them all out, put them all to death. What does Daniel do? He prays. He prays every day. It's a desperate time met with a daily measure for Daniel. Then you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three young men that refused to bow down to some golden statue, even though they knew their lives are on the line. They won't do that. They don't do that. Why? Because daily they worshiped their God. There is no room for two gods in their lives. They worship the one true and living God. Desperate times, daily measure. And then you have Daniel, law in the land, don't pray for 30 days. And Daniel goes to his room and the Bible says that he did three times was pray. And that's something he did previously. That was a daily measure for Daniel. And so he's thrown into the lions. That's a desperate time. And you're wondering, ah, I get that. But what we see is it gets worse for Daniel. Daniel's in his 80s. He's desperate for God. His people are in a foreign land. They're wondering, are we ever going to get back to our city in Jerusalem? It's in ruins. The temple's in ruins. Our people are spread across the globe. This isn't how it's supposed to be. And what you see with Daniel in this desperate time is he does daily measures. He prays. He finds confidence in the love of God. He depends on the promises of God. And what he does, we are called to do the same. Because we too are in a desperate time. You understand that we are not home. My address is 2712 Birch Avenue, but that is not my home. I'm just visiting. I serve a king from a different country. Not here. And he's returning. And when he returns, he'll take me home. This is not my home. And I hope the same is true for you. Do not get too comfortable here. Then when I look at our schools, and we see, we see test scores, and you that are working in the schools, and are around the schools, and in the neighborhood, you see behavior. All sorts of trouble. But that's not what alarms me the most. What alarms me the most is that in one high school where there are 800 students, how many of those students are on fire for God, are worshiping Jesus in a local body of believers this morning? Not many. And that's not just a Holmes High School issue. 
That's a school issue across our nation. It is desperate times. How about your neighborhood? We see violence and drugs. We see all sorts of desperate situations. But did you know that within three miles of this location, we have hundreds and hundreds of houses and thousands of thousands of people, and yet you see the open seats. Are we making a dent? And then I wonder if we are desperate for God. Because it's not a call, hey, we got to work harder. It's a call that we desperately need God to move. And when he moves, we'll move. You see, you and I are desperate for God. So what I want to call you to do today is to go back to daily measures. Call on God in prayer. Be confident that God loves you. And then cling to his promises. That's what we're going to go over. Chapter 9 is a long chapter. I'm going to hit the highlights as we go through. Uh, my prayer is that God opens up your heart, stirs your affections for Jesus. My prayer is that you're more passionate about Jesus than anything this world has to offer. And that's something only God can do. And so we're desperate for him to move. That's something only God can do in my life. That's something I ask for on a daily basis. Because here's the crazy thing. There's a lot of things that this world offers that I care a lot about that in the grand scheme of things don't matter. And so I have to go back to the Word, go back to God and ask Him for something because I'm desperate for Him. And so, while I pray, I want you to pray that you become desperate for God as well. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for this chapter. Lord, I pray that as we go over Your inspired Word, that Your Spirit moves and fills us with wisdom and knowledge that you pierce our hearts, that you guide our passions and affections. Don't leave us the same. Father, we're a desperate people, but the good news is you're a God who is gracious and merciful, an awesome God who moves. And so we lift up our heads to you. We lift our eyes to you. Our hope is found only in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, number one. Call on God in prayer. And you see this from chapter 9, from verse 1 all the way down to verse 19. So you call on God on prayer. Like everybody knows that we should be praying. Right? Most people know that we should pray to God. And here, Daniel gives us four uh, kind of helpful guidelines in us pursuing God in prayer. When we call out to God in prayer, number one, we should dive into the Bible so that it ignites and guides our prayers. Let the Bible direct us praying. And I was thinking, how strong is a relationship if one person in that relationship, the only communication they have is asking the other person for stuff? So I, I'll go back to, we'll say Ava. Ava, um, eighth grade daughter, and all she does when she talks to me, let's say the only reason she would talk to me is to ask me for something. She doesn't. But what if that was the only thing she did? Dad, can I have this? Dad, can I have this? Dad, can I have this? What about 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 this? How strong would that relationship be? We don't operate with people we love like that, do we? We have a lot of conversations about a lot of different stuff. Why? Because we care for each other. In the same way, 
if all of our conversation to God, what we call prayer, is God help me here, help me here, get this for me, get this for me, this, how strong is that relationship? We're forgetting who God is. And so we want to dive into this word so we can see God clearly and let his word guide our prayers. Because how else will you know what to talk about? How else will you know what to ask for? Sometimes we don't even, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you an example. Psalm 19. Big chapter in the Old Testament, Psalm 19. And this is what I'm, I just want to give an example of what I'm talking about. Verses 1 through 6 talks about how the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim His handiwork. So what's something we could pray for after reading uh, those six verses? We should give praise to God for His creation. Right now, listen, it's not a clear day. You probably didn't see the sunrise. You either weren't up or the clouds are out. But man, it is a day. The sun has risen. You are alive. God has sustained the breath in your nostrils. You can breathe and move and work. We should give God glory for that. And if Jesus doesn't return, the sun will set. And we can give God glory in that. All of creation points to His glory. But then it moves on down in Psalm 19. And now this is some things that I don't think we would pray for if we weren't letting the word direct our prayers. Number one, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. How many of us would describe the Bible as reviving our soul? If you spend time in this, you will. This is what I notice. Right. And sometimes I fall into this thinking. I got to get away. I got to get rest so I can be rejuvenated. Right. So I can replenish my energy. And what happens a lot of times is people will go on vacation and they come back and they're more tired than when they left for vacation. And yet what we see here, this is what the Bible does. He says, hey, I get into your word, Lord, and it revives my soul. If you're downcast, if you are depressed this morning, the best place to go is to the word of God. Because it revives the soul. And so what I would ask when I read this verse is, Lord, help me approach your word knowing that your word will revive my soul. That's a prayer that we should be calling out on God for. Or the next part of that verse, testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You want to be smart? You want to grow in wisdom? Ask God to give you wisdom through his word. Dig in and watch how God transforms your mind and your heart. You'll think about things the way God has designed you to think about things. You'll have priorities in your life in the right way because you're lining your life up with God's word. That's what means making wise the simple. You'll know how to live. Or the next verse. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You want to overflow with joy? Dig in. Now, if you come to the Bible and your heart is cold, what should you ask for? I'd ask for God to move. God, help me rejoice at your word. Lord, show me this. This is a big book. This is a confusing book. I read this. I get tired. I fall asleep. It's hard to dig into here. I want this to be true. Ask him for it. That's what happens when the word ignites and guides our prayer life. You move on down. Check out this verse in verse 10. This is just one chapter we're going through. This is, this is how long you could be praying for, right? If this was something you're reading and praying, reading and praying, reading and praying, this is what it's for here. It's, it's like connecting, uh, lifting weights and playing football. 
right? If all you did was lift weights and you never played football, that would be a waste of time, right? If you went through Coach Neville screaming at you to touch the box, and just so you know, the box is about this big. And Mike, how much weight do you put on? Jeffrey, you know about this. That box is low. That, heavy's, that weight is heavy. And you got to go down. And sometimes guys will get this low. And you hear it, and man, it gives you nightmares. Touch the box! Right? Coach Neville's in his high-pitched voice scream. Touch the box, and you look around, and you're looking if he's yelling at you or yelling at somebody else, and he's looking right at you. Ah! So you got to get low and touch the box. Imagine doing all that, but never playing on Friday nights. And the same is true here. When, when you read the Word, we got to pray. It, it, they go two and two together. Now, check this out. More to be desi desired are they, your words, than gold. More to be desired than gold. And then, just in case we missed it, even much fine gold. If I had a brick of that gold from Fort Knox, and I said, you could have this, which would take care of you for the rest of your life. Or you can know the word and live it out. Which would you choose? It shouldn't even be a tough decision. But hey, do you see how radically the word does in our life? How radically it shifts our thinking? Because the world really esteems wealth. Look at all the stuff you can have. Look at your status. Look at the power. Look at what you can do. And what the author's writing is, that's nothing compared to knowing the Word. Now, I know I'll have this when I hold to this book, and I'm in this book like I would hold on to a block of gold. That's where I want to get. That's what I'm asking God to do from this world. Lord, help me desire this, your Word, more than anything in this world, including gold. Fine gold. Lots of gold. I don't want it compared to this desire. Is that your desire? Maybe it's sleep. You desire sleep, you desire the Word. Maybe it's comfort, right? I want to go home, I want to lounge on the couch, I don't have time, I don't want to open up the Bible, it's hard work. Yeah, it's spiritual warfare. But do you desire the Word more than you desire anything else this world has to offer? That's just coming from verse 10. Do you see how the Bible should ignite and guide our prayers? That's what Daniel does in the first few verses of chapter 9. And then I love it. He ends, the psalmist ends this in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, what I think about, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Phil, how radically different would Miss Baldwin's class be first period if that was the prayer of our students? How many words do you hear in class that are not acceptable or wouldn't please God? That's right. A lot, right? See how radically different this could be? That's our prayer. So we want the Word of God infusing our prayer lives. And that's what you see. Look at verse 2 in chapter 9. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books. Right? He's going to the Old Testament. I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of the years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. I love this. He is digging into Jeremiah. Guess what? You and I have that book in this Bible. Jeremiah. Daniel Everything is going wrong. Desperate times does daily measures. I'm going to dig into the Word of God. I'm going to hear from Jeremiah. May we be the same. May we be people of the book. May we grow in our praying as we grow in our discipline of getting into the Word. Get the Word into your mind, get it into your heart, and then live it out. 
That's a powerful, powerful testimony. So dig into the word. Number two, deal with sin. Now I won't read this, but from verses 3 all the way down to 15, 20 times Daniel talks about sin. He said, hey, Lord, because of our iniquities, because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our wickedness, Daniel is super honest with God on who he is and who his people are. We're messed up. Lord, you're right to send us into captivity because we weren't following you. We didn't care about you. We were running away from you. He confesses that to God and turns from it. You see, when you're speaking to God, your prayers should be filled with confession because you and I don't make it either. We miss the mark. We've rebelled against God. We have sin that we deal with that we should be putting to death daily. And it is a daily battle. And I think some of us, and sometimes me included, think we could just shrug it off or sweep it away or make light of our sin. Daniel doesn't. He exposes it 20 times in just one chapter. It reminds me of Grandma Brown. I had a grandma. She was uh, getting up in age in her 80s. And listen, if you have parents and you ever have to think about taking away the keys, good luck. And so my grandma was driving and she was the lady on the road that would be going 30 miles under the speed limit. All right. You'd honk your horn, you go by, and I hope you feel bad honking at her when you see, oh man, she can barely see over the steering wheel and she knows she's struggling. Well, she drove a huge Lincoln. And <laughs> ooh is right. She parked it in a small garage, and to back up, you had to go up a little driveway, and then there was a chain link fence, which was her side yard. She had to back up, and then she could pull out. So she didn't have to at least back out onto the street. Well, dad and I would cut her grass, right? And it was always funny. We never cut it right. She always had something to say about us not cutting it right. It didn't look right, right. And so you had to do a good job. Well, dad's out here mowing. He's like, Ben, get the mower to the truck. Grandma's backing out. So I take the mower up the driveway, getting out of the way. Dad's back there. He had the bright idea. He was going to help grandma back out today. So he's standing there and I'm just coming back with the weeder. I'm just trying to stay alive at this point. Grandma's backing up and I can see she's going to drill the fence. She's going to drill the fence. She's going to drill the fence. And dad goes, stop. She can't hear. Stop. He starts waving. He gets behind the car. Stop. Grandma rolls the window down. Why are you yelling at me? Dad, you're going to hit the fence. You got to be careful. So she turns it so that she's almost now hitting the garage. Dad again yells, stop, stop. She doesn't stop. She keeps going. She goes to hit the brake pedal. She hits the gas pedal. Thankfully, she misses the garage, but drills the chain link fence. Right. So now the chain link fence is leaning like this instead of straight up. She pulls forward. She puts it back in reverse. Bam. Hits the chain link fence again. At this point, dad has given up. I'm just staying out of it. She rolls down her window. You guys are putting too much pressure on me. Rolls the window back up. Straightens out her car. Finally, she is ready to go. Rolls her window back down. I told you I'd get out. Roll her window up. Boom. Back on the road. Dad looks at me. I go, that is not my problem, Dad. That is your mom. You can talk to her about her driving. Whew. Sometimes we don't see clearly. Grandma couldn't drive. She couldn't see. It was getting bad. Sometimes we're the same way spiritually. We think because everybody else is doing it or this is what someone told me or my friends are doing this so I can do this. The world accepts it so it's okay. We deal lightly with sin. Here's the thing. The Bible never deals lightly with sin. The Bible is always strong when it comes to sin. 
And you see this where? And in whom? You see this in Jesus. Right? God doesn't shrug his, sin at your, shrug his shoulders at your sin. He sends a son. That's strong. And so, in your praying, you're diving into the Bible, you're going to see sin in your life. And when you see it, you need to confess it and turn from it. Now, uh, real quick, and I know my time is running out. When you confess, it's not feeling bad because you got caught. Right? So, like, if, if you go out and party and get drunk and then drive and then get pulled over and get a DUI, you're going to feel bad for that, right? Those are consequences. That, that doesn't mean you're confessing and turning from sin. That means you felt bad that you got caught. When I say confess and turn from sin, you know God has created you for His glory. And when you live for your glory, that's sin. You cannot do what you want and glorify God. You do what He's called you to. You live for His glory. And when you don't, you need to confess that and run to Him. And so that's godly sorrow. God, I know I'm not where you've called me to be. I'm sorry. I'm going to live for you. That's what repentance looks like. That's what confession looks like. All right, so deal with sin. Number three, depend on God's mercy. Depend on God's mercy. And I love this. Again and again, Daniel hits on this, right? So he's honest about who he is and who uh, his people are, but he's also honest about who his God is. And so like you see in verse 4, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Now, now this is very, very important because we serve a God who is committed to loving his people even when we sin and we rebel and run away from God. Guess what? He loves us. That's what steadfast love means. And then we see that not only is he great and awesome and committed to us and his love for us, but he also is righteous. Everything that he does is right. Also, to the Lord, in verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. What you need, God has. You don't deserve God's attention or favor. And yet what we see is our God is merciful and forgiving. That is great news, because on our own, we can't stand before God. But thankfully, He is a merciful and forgiving God. And, and then we keep on going down. We see this in verse 18. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. Daniel saying, hey, I'm not coming before you because of how good we are. Well, then, Daniel, why are you coming before God? We're not coming before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. You want to know why I have confidence in approaching God, even though I am a sinner? Because he is a God of great mercy. He gives me what I don't deserve. And I see that clearly on the cross. I don't deserve that type of love. And yet that's what type of love he's pouring out on us. So deal with sin, confess and turn, depend on God's mercy. And then finally, Desire that God gets the glory. I wish I could do like a, a rating scale of 1 to 10 on everybody in the room, me included, on when it comes to God's glory, how big a desire do you have? Right? This is an issue we constantly deal with. Right? As teachers, we deal with students' lack of desire for learning. Right? And so we're trying to figure out a way, how do we motivate students to learn? Right? Maybe... With work, you're dealing with a lack of desire to show up to work. Tomorrow morning is coming. Monday morning is coming. 
Do you desire to get up and get to work? Sometimes we have to battle that. And then I wonder with our team, how much of it is a desire to work together compared to make sure we get the glory? And so what I want us to do, and, and this is life transforming. When you get this, in, in verse 19, it says, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act, delay not. Why? For your own sake. Daniel is passionate that God gets his glory. When he's thrown into the lion's den, he's not saying, yeah, they didn't bite me because I'm so strong. He's saying, yeah, they didn't bite me because my God is so good. He is constantly pointing people to God. Here's my question. In your life, do you constantly point people to God for His glory? Or are you living for your own glory? And there's a lot of things that, that we could go through. This is a sermon in and of itself. But I'm going to leave you with two verses. One of my favorite verses growing up, 1 Corinthians 10.31. If you're taking notes, write that one down. 1 Corinthians 10.31. This has influenced me in, in how I do sports and how I coach and how I teach it says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So if it's sin, you can't do that for the glory of God. But what you do, do it for the glory. So when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to be sitting in first period, and I'll be sitting in second period. I can be in school at Holmes High School teaching and working with students in a way that I can bring God glory. Or I can retreat Take easy routes, stay away from hard students, and live for my own glory. I can't do both. You'll have the same options. In sports, you can play and practice and treat teammates in a way that brings God glory, or you can strive to bring yourself glory. In coaching, you can strive to coach in such a way that you get the honor and the glory. Look at how smart this coach is. Look at this play. Look at this. Look at how many wins. Or you can coach in such a way that brings God glory. In your home, you can lead your family. You can treat your family in a way that brings God glory. Or you can expect them to serve your daily wants and needs so that you are glorified. But you can't have both. So whatever you do, do it for the Lord and not yourself. Work at it for His glory, not your own. So those are, those are four, and I know that that's a lot. When, when you're diving into the Bible to ignite your prayer lives, you're dealing with sin by confessing it. You're desiring that God gets the glory, that you're depending on His mercy. But those four little things in your prayer lives will help you work through tough times. And this is a desperate time. Then we see that we should have confidence in God's love. Uh, and I'll, I'll move quickly through these last two. Daniel is at the beginning. He's, he's begging and pleading for mercy and says, why was speaking, confessing sin? God's moving. Like God hears him and he's responding. And then this angel shows up and says, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, right? God told me, and I've come to tell you that you are greatly loved. Do you see that in verse 23? So God, in responding to Daniel's prayer, sends Gabriel, a messenger of God, to tell him, hey, you're greatly loved. Now, here's my question. Has any angel ever showed up to you while you were praying and said, hey, Jeffrey, you're greatly loved? Has that ever happened? Has never happened to me, but you want to know what? God send, sent someone greater. 
You know that, right? You want to know how you are loved? Because he sent his son. Right? John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then Jesus, no one has greater love than this, that a brother lay his life down for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. You want to know that you are loved? You look at the cross. And so this is the point when everything is going wrong in our world. I'm going to hold on to the fact that I know that the creator and sustainer of the universe loves me. And if he loves me, I know I can trust him. That's confidence. And when you look at Daniel's life, you think about a man that shouldn't be confident. Got him in a foreign land. He was never rescued. He never went back to see Jerusalem again. Never went back to the temple. He was almost put to death twice. His friends were almost put to death. Like, it's crazy times for Daniel. And yet one of the things that got Daniel through is he knew he was loved by God. He wasn't forgotten. That's life-changing. When you make the love of God for you personal, that's life-changing. You can get through anything. And I, I love the promise from Romans 8, 38. It says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, or powers, or height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an untouchable love. No matter how bad it gets here, you're loved by God. And then finally, cling to the promises of God. And this is where we're going to move into the Lord's Supper because it's looking to fulfillment in Jesus. It's looking to fulfillment in Jesus. And you, you see this in verse 24. It talks about how we're going to finish the transgression. We're going to put an end to sin. We're going to atone for iniquity. All of these promises are fulfilled in Christ. How do we deal with sin? We're dealing with the same problem Daniel did. Our sin is ruining our lives. It gets in and chokes the life out of us. Someone's got to pay for your sin. You will for eternity or Jesus has on the cross. And so when he sets up this new covenant, he passes around this cup. He's saying, hey, this is how you're coming to God. It's through someone dying for you in your place. This is the bread. This is the cup. This is the blood. This is the body. He's saying, hey, your transgressions are paid for because of me. He puts an end to sin. He atones for the iniquity. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ you and I might become the righteousness of God. Your sin's been dealt with. It's dealt with on the cross. God sent a vision to Daniel. He promised a Messiah who would be cut off. And we see that. See, so here's the cool part. Daniel's looking forward to a promise, and we're looking back at a promise fulfilled. Jesus has already been here, done that. Paid for sin. Now, what are we waiting on? For Jesus to return. And when he does, we get to gather around the table with him. But until then, we're gathering around the table in remembrance of what he's done and what he's going to do. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask uh, some of our, our young guys to get the cups. We'll pass it around, and uh, some of our older men will pass out the bread, uh, and we'll take the Lord's Supper. All right? Father, I thank you for moving. I thank you for working. I thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the promises that you have fulfilled. And we look forward to the day you will fulfill all of the promises. We look forward to the day you send your son back for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.